Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. I learned to go into trance states. I learned to see clairvoyance. I learned a lot about training my mind with Buddhist practices before I went and learned plants, That's master plants, the psychedelics. So I had 10 years of training before I even started okay. with psychedelics. The, the master plants is a tool, but being a shaman has nothing to do with the plants. That's a misconception that we're okay. doing today yeah. because there's such an interest in plants. And so now you have shamans that pop up after, you know, six months of doing ayahuasca and then they think they're shamans, which is actually the biggest trap of hallucinogens is that they give you hallucinations and they could be just as illusional and ego inflating as the illusions of our world, uh -huh. if not more, because now you think it's spiritual. Therefore, it's God that told you that you were amazing when actually that's your ego that's being reflected. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona, and this episode is an interview made in Caplancaya with a medicine man, Manesh Ibar. The goal of this interview is to explain what a shaman is. As shamanism is something more and more popular, we could even say trendy, though it is quite mysterious too, and for some even a bit scary. Manesh has many particularities as he started his professional life as an executive at Sony in New York before devoting himself totally to a practice that he was discovering until then in parallel, that of sage, therapist, advisor, healer, and a seer. Manashiba, hello. Hello. You are a shaman or medicine man, as you prefer to be called. Yeah. We'll talk with you about what a medicine man or a shaman is. First uh, question, is Manesh Iba your real name? It is my real name. What I does it mean? Where does it come from? So Manesh is a Basque name that is in the northern Pyrenees of Spain and southern Pyrenees of France. It's this old indigenous culture. And Manesh was kind of an old name that was given to the firstborn. And then it kind of became a name. It actually, the original was, it's the West Wind. Oh. And then it became kind of a name that signified the pain in the butt, old moralist that, that you know, <laughs> kept the traditions and everything else. Okay, so you are uh, rehabilitating the name. Exactly. <laughs> into a much cooler thing. So what's interesting with you also is um, you're one of the youngest VP at Sony Music. You worked for the United Nations. You organized lots of events about uh, sustainability with Al Gore. Where did you come from being an executive at Sony? to a shaman? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I wonder that sometimes how that happened. <laughs> But <laughs> I, I was definitely following that kind of very classical career path of the West and had early success and all of that. But it started around 14, I had an outer body experience. And then at 16, I met some of my first medicine man teachers by accident, and we can maybe talk about it later. Yeah. But so I had a kind of my own unique spiritual path, which was into shamanism, but I just kept it as my own spiritual thing, just okay. like, you know, you could be Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, whatever. 
But you were still doing it when you were an executive. You so I was I was made fun of actually at Sony because I would go to these different retreats and you know with Native Americans and people were like, "What are you doing in these yeah. weekends?" So, but it was fun. And, and it was and not so popular at the time. I was very young at the time, yeah. so it was kind of a question, and nobody knew what a shaman was. They didn't know what the medicine men were. This was. Uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. So it wasn't as trendy as today, that's for sure. So how did you make the complete switch? <laughs> so there was this um, dance that I went to do, which is called the Naraya. And it's a three-day, three-night dance where you go into trance, basically, and spirits come and take you, and you have a vision. And in one of those, it told me that I would go back and move to the Basque Country, And I would have to, you know, be there and find some crystal cave and something. And I was like, this is crazy. And they said it was going to be like next year. So who said that? The vision and the That's, spirits. Okay. But you, it was your vision. Yeah. It was my vision. Okay. And so I was just ignoring it because my ego was definitely on the other path. And then sure enough, eight months later, I was out back in the Basque country and I was wondering what happened. And, uh, you were in Paris at the time. So I, I was in New York. In New York, and yes. And then I came to Paris for a summer after I left Sony because there was a merger and the company was just, I felt, was not going anywhere. We actually were trying to do a kind of Facebook for Sony with music and, and film and everything else to create a community site. And they said, you have to wait three years. And I was like, three years on the internet is like 20 years. Like, we can't wait three years. In six months, it's already going to be out, you know? And they said, we can't. We're merging. And so there's no expansion going on for three years. And I decided to leave. So I was working with the UN. I partnered. I had a nonprofit uh, organization that was helping indigenous cultures. So part of my path is I had gone to see the indigenous to learn shamanic spiritual techniques and practices. Yeah, slowly my life just changed completely. And how did I you become from a learner to uh, the teacher? A practitioner, yeah. yeah. I mean, it took a long time because I think my ego resisted it because I was very young. I remember it was in New York after I think I had just left Sony and I had four of my teachers that called me in that week and they all were like, you know, you should start charging for the work that you're doing. And I was like, just healing my friends or, you know, whatever, very small things. I was doing sweat lodges already every month, which is a kind of like a sauna ritual around the full moon. And it's pretty powerful, very hot. But so, yeah, I was healing some people, but basically like it wasn't a career. It was just that was my practice and, and it was fun. And so four teachers called that week and they all said, you need to start charging and, and really taking this as your career. And I was like, you know, <laughs> you guys are crazy. I'm 25. You know, what am I going to say to a 60 year old that has had three divorces and 10 kids and what? Nothing. And he's like, trust spirit. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I resisted. And yes. then I did heal uh, actually this model, Christelle, who actually brought me to Paris and said, come. And then she's the one that actually forced it a little bit on me, <laughs> where she had 50 friends uh, when I came that wanted sessions with me. But I didn't do sessions. Incredible. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why you brought 50 people. So how did you get like, the confidence to be like a real uh, it took a while. Or medicine man? It yeah. took a while. And I think it was more from the uh, results, you know. So those 50 people came and, and each of them had uh, changes and transformations. 
I did become psychic, uh, clairvoyant. I actually thought I was losing my eyes when I was at NYU in college. I was about 20. And so I saw, I started seeing auras and colors and I thought I was losing my eyesight. And actually, no, I have 30, 20 vision, which is better than perfect. So I see 30 meters instead of 20. Okay. So the optician was like, no, no, you're, you're all good. Your eyes are fine. I was like, are you sure my cornea is not like breaking loose? And he was like, no, you should go see the Buddhists. They'll tell you about it. So that had already been kind of established. So I was using my psychic skills to see what was going on energetically inside people. And then I tried to fix it and try to tell them about it and what I felt. So it was very intuitive at first. And then there was results, like incredible results. And then there was amazing things that were going on in sessions. Sometimes I'd channel a dead person and tell them all this stuff about their grandmother or, you know, which was very weird for me, even though I had seen it in my initiations, which is a good thing. But still, it's surprising. And so I kind of ran away to the Basque country, uh, away from Paris and away from healing. And then I just kept being called back. And, and then there was results. And so in a way, when you're having results and you're helping people heal, you feel great. And it's also you feel like you need to you, you can't say no. Your uh, humility when you speak is very different from the, um, the image we have from a shaman who mm. should like uh, be very authoritative and tell you uh, what to do. <laughs> Why so? There's different levels of shamans and there's some that are very initiated and they're humbled because the mystery of the world is incredible. Even though I have a lot of knowledge, I also know I don't know a lot. And I mean a lot. And I think this is true for all of science, all of our politics, our education. We really, there's so many mysteries and, and we all think we know so much. But one of the greatest teachings I had was to, the divine is called the great mystery in Lakota, you know, and the great mystery means it needs to remain a mystery. And so yeah, we're not okay. meant to figure it out. And that really brought me back to, wow, it's, it's amazing. We can really concentrate on what's in front of us in terms of the presence and just deal with that. And that's perfect. And so you don't need to be grandiose and you don't need to be an authority telling people what to do. I do tell people what to do because they're asking me when they yes. come in a session. Okay. Otherwise, I'm, I let people be, you know. And yeah. I think that's a, <laughs> what's that's your own influence? Would you say, like, uh, you've been talking with uh, indigenous or First Nation people, depends on how we call them. Is it, like, very important or Buddhism? What's, what's shaping you? <clears throat> so I had a lot of Buddhist training. There was a lot of the first parts. I did bun training. I had a special Yeshe class, which is kind of like a PhD class to become a PhD in Buddhism and the art of reasoning with Michael Roach who became quite controversial later with sex cults and things like that, which was weird, but I learned a lot of Buddhism. I was blessed by the Dalai Lama in a little small group of 300 people. Buddhism is still an incredible part. I, I studied Dzogchen, which is basically the quantum physics of Buddhism, uh, which is quite fascinating and magical. And eventually you leave as a rainbow body light being. Um, so that's a, a path and it's a long path <laughs> until you die. Then I studied with the Lakotas, I studied with the Shipibos, I studied with the Algonquins in New York, uh, the Shoshones, I'm missing some, the Druids as well in Europe. I wow. got a lot of, uh, in France, there's actually incredible people, clairvoyants and Druids and witches and, and plant people that know 
a lot about that. So I also got to know a lot of those teachers. Um, and then I had a, a friend, yes, the indigenous, I mean, I, I traveled a lot to indigenous cultures, especially when I had the nonprofit and we were trying to teach uh, the kids to learn how to document their elders so that we could preserve some of these traditions that were dying out with the modernization of the world. And so this served to build this cultural media library. So the way that I interacted with the indigenous was pretty amazing because they're so poor materially in one way, but I felt their soul was so rich, their happiness was exuberant, and they just have this deep gratitude and from that, this deep joy. And from my very materialistic life, it was stunning to see that, that like in such poverty, you could have so much health and joy. And why were we missing that? So it definitely intrigued me. And, and I went deeper into all of their ways in terms of how they organize as a society and also their spiritual path. Why do we feel like so uh, disconnected and uh, spiritually a bit empty, as you said, uh, with the modern uh, civilizations? I think that's a great question. And, and, and I think about that a lot. And one of the biggest things that I've seen is that we're cut off from our rituals and especially rituals that bring us back into the connection with nature, which is the primary intelligence. And so this is one of the things that I found when I did my first vision quest, which is basically you go and remove yourself from society and you go into nature for an extended period of time. So from four days, seven days, up to 44 days alone, fasting, and you just sit with nature. It's hard, and yeah. It sounds hard, but actually it's there's nothing more natural. Okay. We're made to be nature. So we are nature. So nature is not going to kill us. That's a very weird idea that we have. Why are we so scared of nature? Why are we so scared of being alone? Those are two huge problems, <laughs> you know, that terrorize us and bring yeah. us so much fear. There's been ways that I think medicine all comes from plants anyways. Our whole pharmaceutical industry is based off plants. So the indigenous knew how to use plants. And also they have this rich library, like when you go to the jungle, there's so many different plants. They don't know all the plants, but they know a lot of them. And there's obviously more plants than we have in our Western culture that heals a lot of different things. I saw Michael Plotkin did a research. He's a Harvard botanical uh, genius, I would say. And he went into the jungle to try to mark and document all the plants. And he would come back with diseases that we don't cure, like herpes or AIDS or whatever. And he would show it to different shamans and tribesmen, and they would say, oh, yeah. And he would say, wow, look at that. There's seven cures wow. for herpes. Why don't we have that? So I think there's there's a misunderstanding that indigenous or First Nation people are not as civilized as us because we see it that way, because we think we're civilized, but it's actually the opposite. You go to the Kogis, for example, in Colombia, they consider themselves our older brothers because they're trying to help us understand that we're disconnected okay, and that yeah. we're doing yeah. in our society is, is sick, actually. Yeah. It's really sick, which is what creates most of the diseases today. Most of our diseases are not technical. They're psycho-emotional immune system diseases, which is 85%. Very few genetic diseases, and, and okay, we've identified those. And then there's some, you know, food diseases, most of the bacteria diseases we've figured out with different, like penicillin and this and that. The biggest diseases that are facing the impoverished nations are uh, bacterial, 
and it's actually because of water. Most of the other diseases are our own in our Western yeah. society, and it's psycho-emotional because I fear, I feel we're disconnected from our spiritual nature. We haven't had initiation into rites of passages, like for example, communion and bar mitzvah, where we just get gifts at 13. Well, that's exactly when we're supposed to go and connect to nature by ourselves and find our purpose. And then the gifts that we got was because we would come back with our purpose and the gifts would be to fulfill that purpose. So now we don't have that. And it was also to cut with the mother, the umbilical cord, so that we could actually become independent and become an adult. Wow. So now we have tons of man-childs and man and, and child women running around without a real purpose, with a lot of fear, and they're just going through the motions of our society's expectations, but it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't give us happiness. I mean, look at France. We have 50% of the people that are on antidepressants. Kaplankaya during harvest, so many people went to see Manesh to try his Sphinx code. It's a tarot with 16 different positions and different archetypes to outline your personal archetypal subconscious architecture. Manesh read to his visitors his own set of tarot cards and communicated about how to move into your higher genetic expression and what's your unique path of transformation. Well, I was not into shamanism before. It was too mystical for me and um, totally was not into it. For me, it was like for the freaks and uh, those who needed to hang on to something magical, which was not my case. But now I totally changed my mind. Actually, I did have a Sphinx code reading. Once again, I'm not into astrology either. But I must say that I was very surprised by the power of that reading. I felt like uh, it was reading in an open book, uh, reading my chart. And it helped me, yeah, it helped me, um, especially on the, the fact that it gave me confidence on the, my character, you know. It helped me to understand a little bit more my character and it gave me the confidence to uh, go through my ideas and uh, decisions with less doubt. First time I met Manesh, it was in his house, in his mansion. I decided to go on this ayahuasca journey because so many friends of me went there and uh, told me that it is an amazing trip. And what I got from this ceremony is totally surprising. I didn't get into a full trippy uh, visual experience but i went through a channel of healing and that is the main point of this medicine that you don't have to forget that is a medicine and uh, i just get rid of an otitis that was lasting for the last four years as i am a surfer so uh, amazing during the night my hair just popped back and came back to normal and it has been like 18 months that I don't have any problems anymore. So that is a plant medicine. So that's a ceremony that is also a healing.
people come to see you because uh, they're sad, they're sick, <clears throat> curious, they want a spiritual journey, or they want to have fun. Why do they come to you? <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> It's actually interesting. My, my journey of, of healing, so when I started, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so the different people that would come usually had back problems, had very physical problems. And I healed that. Then I moved into more serious diseases. So all of a sudden, I just had clients that had more diseases. And I had to figure that out. Incurable diseases. And I was like, oh, I have to figure that out. And I did, slowly, mostly through the energetic system, mostly through bringing them back into nature's connection, using nature, using essential oils, plants, and different techniques that wow. really help move energy, anger, emotions. So it's, it's a lot about our emotions also, and not understanding how to process emotions, which is the psycho-emotional aspect in a way. And so my career, I'll say my healing career, brought me to see many different aspects. So now I'm not doing so much healing work, even though that always can happen, but I'm more guiding people into higher consciousness states, higher performance states. And so, yes, there's, there's some that want to go into their highest expression because they're already at a certain success. They're not sick, but how do you go to the next level? Wow. And so that's what I bring, because shamanism is really based on uh, altered states of consciousness. So yeah. it's about going into that trance state to go and communicate with the invisible world, spirits, energy, nature spirits. And you help uh, people to reach uh, these states uh, thanks to plants. So that's I, I, one plants, of the tools. Plants were very f like, well, I, I learned healing plants first. And then there's the master plants, which are the, the entheogens or psychedelics, I learned those much later. So I had to have very direct experiences that were real, that were not modified. And that's, I think, one of the trainings that I have that, that yeah, makes okay. me different from other shamans. The real um, plants, I mean, for the small like things. Like lavender, peppermint, yes. all these okay. kind of things. Um, I learned that early on. But I learned to go into trance states. I learned to see clairvoyance. I learned a lot about training my mind with Buddhist practices before I went and learned plants, That's master plants, the psychedelics. So I had 10 years of training before I even started okay. with psychedelics. So you can be a shaman without using those uh, psychedelic plants. Absolutely. Okay. It's actually, to me, the, the master plants is a tool, but being a shaman has nothing to do with the plants. That's a misconception that we're okay. doing today yeah. because there's such an interest in plants And so now you have shamans that pop up after, you know, six months of doing ayahuasca and then they think they're shamans, which is actually the biggest trap of hallucinogens is that they give you hallucinations and they could be just as illusional and ego inflating as the illusions of our world, uh -huh. if not more, because now you think it's spiritual. Therefore, it's God that told you that you were amazing when actually that's your ego that's being reflected. That's very interesting. I was expecting you to tell me uh, that uh, I need to take uh, to do a ayahuasca trip or uh, what is it? Um, the other San Pedro. San Pedro, Wachama. There's a lot of them. Yerboga, there's psilocybin, even marijuana. Marijuana is one of the most powerful psychedelics. Okay. And I actually, when people use marijuana, I try to tell them of a different ritual to use marijuana where they dream with marijuana, not smoking, taking it for 28 days just with the marijuana near their bed. And they start having a communication, a relationship with the plant. And then on the 28th day, they smoke it. 
usually people talk like they have a bigger ayahuasca experience on really? marijuana than ayahuasca because it's so powerful, the plant. Can it when also be like a it. very bad experience? Can Absolutely. It, can it turn uh, up to be a very bad experience? Do you have an example sure. of this? Yeah. I mean, there's possessions. When you work with spirits, you know, and you don't know how to get spirits out of bodies, there can be possessions. So people can be possessed by negative spirits. I mean, it depends on the environment. It depends how you hold space. If you open the ceremony right, if you put certain protections, do you have relationships with spirits? So a shaman, like I, I, I studied for 10 years, I knew the relationships of my spiritual helpers okay. very deeply. I had okay. deep relationships with them and I worked with them to help me guide others. So when you go into the plant world, which is the spiritual world, or it opens up your mind to that in a sense, or at least to another conscious reality, if you're not trained to work with that, I mean, luckily these plants are master plants and they do mostly heal, but you never know. There, there can be trauma that awakens in somebody and they go into a deep trauma. They can be possessions. There can be darker energies that come and completely take over. So you feel actually worse. I mean, it's, it's really, there's a technology around this okay. and there's a practice and it needs to be taught. Mm. And unfortunately, our Western ego loves power. Yeah, and the and shortcuts. The shaman is yeah. about power. Okay. And all the shortcuts to get there to say, I'm a powerful shaman because it's not cool to be. But then they do a lot of really bad work. For some people who come really like, not prepared, or it can be dangerous and it's good to be surrounded by a Very much. really good expert uh, of this. Okay. Because you really have to know how to decipher the illusions versus the, the true message that the plant is trying to give you. And when you're cleaning, purging ego, emotions and all this, you're seeing it visually. But yeah. that doesn't mean the visual is actually the lesson. That might actually be the garbage. So by reattaching yourself to it, you're actually bringing it back in. So having the proper guidance, and this is the problem. I mean, we have a lot of people that don't speak Spanish or Quechua and they go to the jungle <laughs> and they don't know how to speak to the shaman. So the shaman <sighs> sings the songs and all this, but it's a very personal experience yeah. and there isn't the guidance. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did was really build a whole program around guiding somebody, helping them first be stable energetically, and then you can enter into different altered states. Because if you're not stable energetically, going into that state, you're going to just see your disruptance. And usually you amplify it and then you go back into a loop and you don't know how to get out of it. Versus if you're really balanced first, then you can pierce and go much higher. And this is what I try to do. So for me, there's, there's session work beforehand. There's stabilizing energy is really important. And I actually started an essential oil company called Fréquence to do that. And then from there, you can do other work. And usually I do uh, altered consciousness with drums, with different meditations, with other techniques before I even bring in the plants. Can you do that with a friend, <clears throat> uh, this experience with a friend or as a couple, or it's an um, individual journey? No, you can do it with friends. You can do it with a, as a couple. It's amazing because love is a journey of being together. With friends, you might feel inhibited because of the friendship, so you might okay. hold in. So you, I'm wary sometimes of that, but at other times it's really amazing. Mostly it's an individual journey. I mean, it's it's we have our own unique spiritual journey, which is another thing. You, you, we don't have generic spirituality. That doesn't exist. We're all unique beings. We all have unique genes. And so we have a unique 
relationship to spirit and we have a unique spiritual journey for transformation. Shamans are definitely not like everybody. Manesh told me one of his best memories as a medicine man was when, after drowning in the Pacific Ocean, he landed on a Mexican beach with a broken shoulder, was so shocked and was crying. And then he saw a blue whale in the ocean, asking him to sing to comfort him. And that's when Manesh released sounds that he had never managed to release before and can now sing. So, of course, as a normal person, I tried to understand if it was a metaphor or if the whale was real. Yes, Manesh told me that he saw a real whale. So, what about his worst memory as a medicine man? I think some of the scariest were possessions, like spirit possessivities, where you see people's eyes rolling and they're completely possessed and... The first time that happened, that definitely was freaky. And you kind of don't know what to do because you just want it to stop. But there's a demon or there's an entity, there's something inside this other person. I mean, it's like it's, you're fine and then all of a sudden you're rolling and you're jumping and your body's contortion and what do you do? And so that was a hard memory, I'll say. Yeah. But I think probably the worst is, is in the last four years seeing all the pseudo shamans mm. that are coming out and doing a lot of harm because they want to play with this power, but they have no training. Yeah, I guess it must be like uh, confusing for people. And uh, I mean, I, I joked that I was going to get a shaman police, you know, T-shirt. <laughs> you should, but, uh, <laughs> a label. Uh, I don't want to get into that game. I mean, I just, I think you just let things happen and, and hopefully you get the education so that people feel safe. There is an interview process that you should feel safe with the shaman. You should know who you're going to. They should know you, you know. If they don't know who you are, what your stories are, what your energy is, what your psyche is, how are you going to work with this person? And you're going to take one of the most powerful plants that brings you into a whole different level and you have no training. Like, you really need to know your guide and that they know what they're doing. And sometimes just because they're indigenous does not mean they're a good shaman. When you were a child, do you think you had predispositions for this? What kind of child were you and what kind of parents did you have? I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> I had kind of a very beautiful childhood where my grandparents were together for over 56 years. They had four kids. All the four kids were married with three or four kids and we would all get together on weekends. And so it was this huge family kind of farm and we had a sustainable farm. Um, because my grandfather really believed in that. That's a very Basque, because the Basque are indigenous in Europe in a way. Um, and they have those old traditions. Like you have to be feeding yourself from the land with a farm, dealing with animals and be sustainable. I love the Basque country. <laughs> it's yes. super good. And so I grew up that way with a very strong sense of you're Basque, you're not French or you're not American, even though those are your passports. Yeah. And so that was important. But I was unique. I mean, first of all, until I was three, I was bald. So I looked like a little monk. My parents actually thought, you know, I wasn't going to grow hair, which no, it happened after three. Cool. I became very bald. <laughs> And there was this kind of very Zen monk kind of, I had big almond eyes. And, you know, as a kid, I would go and look deep into your soul. And uh, I know there was a teacher that was uh, when I was seven, she wrote a book 
about me because when she saw my eyes, she saw love for the first time and then she went and divorced her husband because she realized that she wasn't in love with her husband and she wrote a book about it, really? uh, wow. which I didn't know until I was 30 that that okay. happened. I know I had uh, my parents' friends, they came back and told me, because for me, I was just being a kid, but I guess I was kind of weird. I, I, I would call at five and have like full on adult conversations with my parents' friends. <laughs> like I didn't want to go talk to their kids. I wanted to talk to them. And I didn't, I don't remember all of this, but, and, and I always, even in the playground, I was kind of the bully of the bullies, you know, oh, I would okay. try to always uh, help the weak and okay. always about justice. So there was that. But then when I moved to the U.S. at eight, I broke down, went into depression, cultural shock, like the whole thing. So I, I really went into a dark place for about four years. And then the shamanic actually started coming in around that but my um, parents are definitely together they still love my dad's more scientific my mom was more uh like a nurse uh medical as well so very scientific grandparents engineers lawyers doctors i mean it was very very cartesian in a sense yet okay. our roots uh my mom's roots in her family there was a lot of clairvoyant people and then on my dad's side, there was actually some shamanic healers, but like way back. Oh, okay. So somehow it was repressed. Mm. I didn't know this. I had to like. You had in your this. genes. You have this but in your genes. In my genes. Yeah. Oh, okay. But my parents kind of in, in, I think that generation repressed a lot of that. You know, it wasn't well. They didn't tell you. Seen. They didn't even tell you at the time. They never okay. told me any of this. For To be a good shaman, do you have to love people or not? I think you do. Yeah. You have to love people. You have to love nature. You have to love life for sure. I mean, if you don't like it, how are you going to be healing? <clears throat> be a bit heavy for you to be to have empathy for all your, uh, <laughs> all your. So clients. the difference between empathy and compassion is what you have to learn. So being empathetic is great. I mean, you feel the other, but you also take in yeah. on, and you usually go into their vibration. Whereas compassion, you stay in your own frequency, even though you're compassionate about the other. So you can feel the empathy. You don't fall into their energy. You stay. High, which can feel cold and almost mean sometimes, yeah. but it's actually giving them the stability for them to get out of their own situation. And yeah. so I had to learn to do that because at first I was way empathetic. I actually gained a lot of weight taking on other people's energies and I didn't know how to manage it. Then I went into alcohol to try to deal with that, oh. which obviously that didn't work. So I had okay. to go find other. That was in New York? or That was in New yeah. York, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, in the plane when uh, you're being told to put your own mask exactly. before helping people. Exactly. And how do you take care of yourself and uh, make sure every day you're centered? So I have a meditation practice that I do. I also go on hikes and now I live near a river. So I go do cold plunges in the river. But yeah, it's been like 25 years that I have quite a ritual. And so... Yeah, it's a whole cleansing and clearing and I'm running energy all the time. Even right now, I'm running energy to just clear certain things that are going on. So it's it's becoming, I mean, being psychic definitely helped me see things that happened and how to actually clear it. But um, good food, you know, I've been eating like healthy food. I'm not a vegan. I tried that, but it's it's really, to me, you have to feel and eat from your body and not from your mind. And that's a very hard thing because we have a lot of diets from our minds or vegan or I'm going to be carnivore or whatever it is. It's all mental. Whereas our body knows what it wants and what it needs. And if you follow your needs, it's a great thing. Now, 
The problem is that we've been all corrupted, and so you have to do a cleanse first to oh, reboot, okay. and then you go into that. And I did many, many fasts, many, many cleanses. I still do fasts uh, twice, if not four times a year. I did a lot of vision quests, which is this nature immersion for four, all the way up to 44 days. So, you know, but... Um, and then I use my essential oils like every day. So I put my essential oils on, which is also helping rebalance energy. I'm not a purist. Like I don't, I think there's a lot of shamanic confusion sometimes because there, there, there isn't this kind of purist where, oh, I'm only eating, you know, vegan and I'm meditating and I'm very pure. Shamanism is about living duality. Yeah. And so it's embracing the dark as much as you embrace the light. And actually the more you embrace the dark, and the pollution and all this stuff, the more you actually go into the light and you start seeing how duality exists and we need duality to create a flux. It's like electricity. You need the plus and the minus. You need the man and the woman to make a baby. Okay, you know? yeah, so you need the dark and the light to have energy. And the bigger the separation, the more energy, which allows for life to evolve from that. And it's the same thing with us. We're like an electrical current. And healing is about rebalancing the energies. There's a block here. Okay, well, let's unblock it so the energy runs. And it's very actually simple to take care of yourself when you have the right information. I'm going to end with this uh, last question that I'm asking to uh, all the guests. Yes. It's the harvest of the day, the great harvest of the day. If something easy or simple could be done and would make the world a better place, what would it be for you? I'd start with one. We should, I believe truly, that any government that illegalizes any plants should be considered a crime against humanity. I think that's really important because plants are our natural phenomena that our nature needs. If we need more education on plants, great. We should learn about our plants okay. and our environment. That's part of the disconnect, right? Secondly, I think, yeah, definitely the vision quest. You know, we need to re-plug into nature's intelligence. All of us. It's part of us. We are nature. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Manish. Thank you very much. See you much. soon. Bye. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Manish Ibar's vision of shamanism, how we became what he prefers to call a medicine man and why taking people on a trip to do ayahuasca doesn't make you a shaman. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram Harvest Series. All of our podcasts are also filmed. To tune into these videos, visit youtube.com slash harvest series. The next episode will be with Ada Paris. She's a futurist, visionary artist, and activist who wants to inspire transformative change. Until next time, 